Well, good morning, everyone. I'm, I appreciate everyone getting their prayer groups wrapped up. We are on time, and so I'm going to open us with a word of prayer, and I'll remind us where we are and why we're where we are, and then um, we'll do our teaching time. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Lakeside and the brothers and sisters in Christ that you've brought together as a church family. And I thank you for this subset of the church family that is faith builders. I thank you, Lord, that we can get to know one another by sharing prayer requests and bearing one another's burdens. Lord, I pray for all those who are hurting right now and going through struggles. Lord, many families of our church are impacted. Some we know about, some we don't know about. I just pray, Lord, that your peace would be upon your people today. And as we open up your word, I pray that you would Apply it to our hearts. Pray that you give me the ability to speak the truth in love. And I pray, Lord, that you give us ears to hear so that we could apply your word and that we would be not just hearers of the word, but doers. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned I want to get back to Second Peter, but I want to be able to teach in Second Peter on a more continuous basis. So I've sort of done a detour. I didn't plan it, but I've done a detour teaching through Second John. It's a very short book with just a few verses. And I initially wasn't going to teach the entirety of the book. I was only going to do the first six verses. But then because of the way my schedule worked out and timing, I decided to go ahead and finish and continue on through verse 13. So I taught, beginning a lesson in Second John verses 7 to 13, and I introduced it, and I'm going to read that section again, and I had a four-part message. I'm just going to highlight and review very briefly the first two points, and then emphasize the final two points this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can follow along as I read from Second John, and I'll begin in verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. And as I introduced this, I reminded us as we were going through of the prevalence of charlatans in the church. False teachers, people who are deceivers, they're liars, many of them just out for fleshly rewards, meaning they are in it for money. When I originally taught this many, many years ago, there was a news article about a person who had ripped off people for millions. He had been a con artist, and he wasn't that successful. Then he became a pastor con artist and made millions, because Christians were gullible. And once the doors of the church were opened, everybody trusted, and he fleeced the flock and I did a Google search more recently as I was restudying this, and the same thing continues to proliferate. You can find places all over the country where people are going to prison, thankfully, 
but their easy marks are Christians. So the world then and the world now are very similar in that Satan is on the prowl seeking those he may devour. And we have to be on guard. So, so the overarching warning here of this book is to be careful. And as we covered the first six verses, that was two messages. It was the marks of genuine faith, marks of genuine Christians, and the counterpart is really marks of counterfeit Christians. Really, the focus is false teachers, but as you'll see, particularly as what we talk about today, this goes beyond just false teachers, though that's the primary role. So the first mark was that the person would deny the person of Christ. They deny the person of Christ. And really, this has to do with denying what the Bible says about Jesus. At different dates and different times, the attack on Jesus is different. At the time of the Apostle John, the focus was on the fact there was an aberrant theological heresy that said, well, he didn't really come in the flesh. God can't become man, so Jesus didn't become man. But, of course, that's heresy. Jesus did become man. That's what he's talking about when he says, many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus is coming in the flesh. It's the deceiver, the Antichrist. As we covered more last time, it's central to the gospel that Jesus came in the flesh. The Bible repeatedly teaches this over and over and over again. But if Satan can distort Jesus, he can deny people the ability to hear the gospel. Now, of course, we understand in the broader theological sense of God and his sovereignty being able to overcome the work of the devil. But the devil's goal is to keep those who are blind blinded. And one of the ways to do that is if they see a glimpse of Jesus, make sure it's a distorted glimpse. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but Islam reveres Jesus. It's a false Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. They don't believe Jesus died for their sins. But they would elevate Jesus and say, he's a prophet. He's a good thing. The Mormon church talks about Jesus. It's not the correct teaching of Jesus, but they throw his name about. Jehovah's Witnesses will be happy to talk to you about Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible, not as he's truly revealed. And so the, the goal of Satan is if you're going to look at Jesus, make sure you're looking at a cheap imitation, a carbon copy that's not exactly the real thing. So false teachers will always target Jesus. I mentioned a, as an example of a bishop in a prominent American denomination denying that Jesus was really here in the flesh as God. That's just silly, outdated stuff. There was a prominent pastor who's got a broad ministry and perhaps he's not a heretic, but he says heretical things at times. And he said, well, if you don't believe in the virgin birth, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that important. Be on the alert. When people start chipping away at Jesus as revealed in Scripture, it's a mark of a counterfeit. The second mark, and again, I say of counterfeit Christians, but really the focus is more on the counterfeit teachers, is that they target the followers of Christ. They target the followers of Christ. Verse 8 is a warning not to the world in general, it's to the church. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. And what he's talking about here, of course, is not earning our salvation. He's referencing the fact that if we are obedient, there's a time and there's a judgment, not of condemnation, but there's a judgment where we receive rewards, rewards from the Lord for our faithfulness. 
And he's basically warning the people, look, if you follow after these false teachers, you're going to get yourself in trouble. And all the work that we've built up for you to be able to do, you're not going to do and you're going to lose what could have been yours. We want you to receive the fullness of the blessings of God. Again, the focus is that the church is the target. The church is the place where they go to get disciples for themselves, to pull them away. I highlighted it, but we need to be Bereans all the time. You need to be Bereans and listening to me or Pastor Steve or any other elder of Lakeside, constantly listening to what we say and then looking at the Word of God to see if these things are so. Every one of us has opinions. Every one of us has ideas. If God made me king of the world, things would look differently. But trust me, God's not going to make me king of the world. So my ideas and opinions are just my ideas and opinions. They may influence my family, but I don't want to influence you with them. The only platform I have to speak to you is if I'm telling you what God says. That's what matters. There's a lengthy passage, 1 Corinthians 3, 6-15, where the 1 Corinthians 3, 6-15, I won't read it, but it's would be familiar if you look, where Paul talks about the rewards that a believer gets. Do we build on a good foundation or is it hay or stubble? And we don't lose our salvation, but if it's just hay and stubble, then it burns up. But if it's of good quality, if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. So that's what the Apostle John is saying is the rewards that Paul, for example, was talking about are what he wants to make sure we receive. And you won't receive it if you follow after teachers who are false. And I think that sort of sums up briefly everything we talked about last time. So we move on to our third point. Four marks of counterfeit Christians. Really, it's false teachers they deny the person of Christ. They target the followers of Christ. Number three, they abandon the teachings of Christ. They abandon the teachings of Christ. But it's interesting because the warning here goes out beyond false teachers. Certainly false teachers are abandoning the teachings of Christ. But the warning here is that we don't follow in their footsteps. Verse 9. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. The reason I'm teaching through Second Peter deals with this same issue. The reason I picked this book, just sort of do a detour in when I needed to fill in, was because it's dealing with this issue. The Word of God in our English Bibles contains 66 books. The Old Testament has 39, the New Testament has 27. While it's a slightly different song than the Awana program uses here at Lakeside, I learned them in seminary singing an Awana song. It's a little bit different tune, so I get thrown off when I'm in our Lakeside, but my girls were singing it, and I learned it. That is the entirety of God's revelation to us, and that is sufficient for us. We don't need more. Wayne Grudem has a theology book. I don't agree with everything, but he writes in a very understandable way, and most of his positions are very good. 
on the issue of sufficiency of Scripture, he says the sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contained all the words of God he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history and that it now contains all the words of God we need for salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and for obeying him perfectly. The Bible is all we need. What Wayne Gruden was saying is really just a summary of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That applies to every one of us. If God calls you to do something, he's already equipped you with all you need because you have the scriptures and you have his spirit indwelling you. Yet from the beginning, and I, I don't know how many times I've highlighted this, but I keep highlighting it because it matters, Satan attacked the word of God. Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight for the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Satan appealed to an insatiable aspect of humanity in that they wanted to know more. The temptation to Eve was that, did God really say... And then Satan, of course, distorted what God really said. And then when Eve corrected him, he said, no, 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 you misunderstood. God has been hiding something from you. There's more. There's more that you're missing. In fact, if you'll just look over here, go ahead and take a bite of that, things will be better for you. That lie permeates the American church today. Church after church after church will tell you we love the Word of God, but let us show you more. We got something else. John says this, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ. In other words, the counterfeits of his day were trying to say there's more. Go beyond that. Don't limit yourself. That's what Satan did in Genesis 3. That's what Satan's doing today with false teachers disguising themselves as angels of light. In that day, there were people that wanted a greater spirituality. They wanted more truth. They wanted more experiences. And the apostle was warning them, don't go beyond. Anyone who goes too far, in other words, it was possible to go past what God had written. They viewed themselves as intellectuals, as thinkers, were permeated with that. John says they were not willing to abide in the teaching of Christ. In other words, the doctrines revealed to them were not enough. At the time of the writing of this letter, most of the New Testament was written. They had the teachings of Christ. They had all they needed but apparently some would go farther. They were enticed by the idea of there's a little bit more out there that God's holding off from you. Kind of like when Eve saw the forbidden fruit and said it was good to make one wise, people are still chasing that dream and it's a lie. They claim to have truth beyond what is taught in the Bible and again that continues. John's 
assessment of these people is very harsh. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. One commentator said they had advanced so far that they had even left God behind them. Again, this is still a present reality. I remember the TV commercials from a long time ago. They were good TV commercials from the Mormon church. We have another testament of Jesus Christ. How innocent is that? Well, don't you want to know more? To this day, those who deny the sufficiency of Scripture often do so by saying, look, okay, the apostle said what he said. It was 2,000 years ago. Come on, the world's changed. Now we know. Now we have science that's revealed to us what's really going on. And yeah, that's a nice book, but don't take it too seriously. In other words, they've gone beyond what's written because now science has shown them the way. It goes on and on and on. It's interesting. I quoted one of the few Bible verses. I didn't have a one as a kid. I don't have the memory verses all done. But I quoted 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. What's interesting is if you see what comes before that. Verse 13. But evil men and impostors will perceive from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, you, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from your childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, 3, 16 and 17 was the antidote to evil men and imposters going from bad to worse. What John is warning us about is the same thing that Paul warned the Corinthians about in 1 Corinthians 4, 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant on behalf of one against the other. I won't read all of these, but you can write down the reference. Deuteronomy 4.2, don't add to the word of God, don't take away from it. Deuteronomy 12.32, you shall not add to nor take away from it. Proverbs 30, verse 6, do not add to his words or he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. The verses that I never can comprehend why anybody would call themselves a modern prophet and try and predict the future in the end times when Revelation twenty two eighteen and 19 says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away from his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. It's a serious thing to God to not go beyond what is written. And that's what John is talking about. It's the danger at a teaching-heavy church like this. I'm convinced from Scripture every church should be a teaching-heavy church like this. That's what church is designed to do, to equip the saints for the work of service. You can't be equipped if you're not learning how to abide in the teachings of Christ. Remain in them. Stay in them. But churches like Lakeside are a rarity. They just are. 
men like Pastor Steve, who for 40 years just does one thing, opens up the Bible. Those men are a rarity. That's what the church needs more of, and yet the false teachers understand that in the last times people will want their ears tickled, and they won't stand for sound doctrine. They don't want to abide in the teachings of Christ. That's my warning to us, is that we need to not only abide, we need to want to abide. Really is the simplest way to assess yourself. How do you view the Word of God? Is it enough, or are you looking for something else? The internet is really an amazing thing. It allows good teaching to go out around the world. I can't imagine what it was like for missionaries 40 years ago where maybe a letter goes back and forth and now an email is instantly doing it or FaceTime. Praise the Lord for that. But it also allows people in a good church, a teaching heavy church like this, to be exposed to false doctrine at every turn. It's critical that we always come back to what is written. John continues, the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. So if someone abandons the teachings, they were never saved in the first place. But if you abide, you have the Father and the Son. The reality is, Satan attacks the teachings of Christ because Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. If you close off the door of Jesus, the only way to Christ is through the teaching of Scripture. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So we have to be on the alert. If anybody is going beyond Scripture, run away. You've got to abide in the teachings of Christ. They are enough. You don't need more. Years ago, I remember hearing a story of someone that should have known better that wanted to go to a big one of the big, I don't know what you call them, crusades of a false teacher because they were afraid they might be missing out on something that God was doing. Let me assure you, if it's not in the Word of God, you're not missing out. So that brings us to our last point. And I'm going to reiterate and sum up all this at the end. But four marks of counterfeit Christians. They deny the person of Christ. They target the followers of Christ. They abandon the teachings of Christ. And finally, they exploit the love of Christ. They exploit the love of Christ. And here's the danger. You can listen to everything I've said and take it to heart. And I praise the Lord if you do. Because, and it's not because I'm saying it. It's because it's the Word of God saying it. But particularly in our day and age, it's easy to accidentally or at least unthinkingly, participate in the wrong thing. And false teachers, false Christians would love to exploit the love of Christ. Verse 10 highlights and addresses what's, what I'm talking about, and I'll elaborate it. Verse 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting... Verse 11, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Now again, John is highlighting false teachers. He's highlighting a specific danger of embracing false teachers. But here, he's embracing and teaching something that is culturally applicable, but it still has 
truth for us even though our societies are changed. What do I mean by it's culturally applicable? Some of what he has to do, some of what he is warning against had to do with the way that people traveled back in that day. He says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, in the context, he's talking about someone who literally comes and wants to stay in your environment. And he's telling you, what are they teaching? So he's identifying them. This is someone who has gone beyond the teachings of Christ. They've abandoned the teachings of Christ. And they're targeting the followers of Christ. And they want to take advantage of the hospitality of God's children. In that day, people traveling from place to place did not have the ability to book hotels with their iPhones and have a nice comfortable bed and a hot shower. In fact, they would tell us from an historical standpoint that in that era of the Roman Empire, even if you were traveling, which was possible, many of the places where you could rent a room were houses of ill repute. They weren't reputable They were full of drunkenness and debauchery. So, quite often in the New Testament, there's a reference to hospitality. It was literal hospitality because if a believer was going from place to place, they had nowhere to stay. They're not going to stay in the sin-filled, wicked dens that you could rent. They would need a place to stay, and so Christians would open their home to them. So for Christians, including Christian teachers who were traveling... Their only hope was if other believers showed them hospitality. Romans 12, 13, actually 10 to 13, has a long section of good that we should do to one another, but at the end it says practicing hospitality. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2, let love of the brethren continue. Verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. So it's a constant teaching in the New Testament that believers should be hospitable to one another. There's no way to travel in that day without other believers opening up their homes. And the counterfeits knew it. Who would open a door for them? Christians. That's why I said they would exploit the love of Christ. They were looking not only for a place to stay, but they were looking for an entrance and a platform. John says, if anyone comes to you, he knows they're going to be coming and they're going to be knocking on the door. Probably this particular believing woman who had this specific letter written to her was well known for her hospitality. You show up in her town, that's where you'll go. One of the great examples in my life of sincere Christianity was my grandmother. I always called her granny. My dad's parents died before he, I think, even knew my mom. So I only had one set of grandparents. It was granny and grandpa, my mom's parents. And granny, I didn't understand her as a kid. She puzzled me because we would have to pray at McDonald's if I was with her and that would kill me. It's like, you don't (laughs) pray at McDonald's. So embarrassing. And she made me go pick tomatoes in Quincy because they would be given to a food bank. And I'm in high school. I don't want to pick tomatoes, Granny, but somebody was opening up the field. So there were a lot of things about Granny I didn't understand. As an adult, I appreciate them, but I didn't understand them. But one of the things that was interesting about her, she was a strong woman, 
I could talk a lot of stories. I loved it. She had scars from a shark because Grandpa was a fisherman, and she would help, and a shark had latched onto her arm. I thought it was a, that, that part was cool. Um, <laughs> anyway, she was a tough lady, raised 10 kids and was wonderful. But Perry, most of you have driven through it on 19, it's a small town. And Granny, through the force of her personality and her Christian conviction, headed up a ministry that she was determined we are going to be a place to show kindness and the love of Christ to people. So somehow, and mom would know the story better than me, she managed to coordinate and get a, be a part of a group, and they actually bought a little motel, the old 1950s motel, with a few rooms, and Granny, it was down the street from her house, she would oversee it, and if you came to Perry, and you were broke, and you showed up at a church, they would send you to the motel. And there was a place that she could get him a tank of gas. I think that was at McClellan's, Herschel McClellan's place. She would give them a meal. She'd also make them work and clean around there. But the point was, you knew if you came to town, there was a place you could go. I think that's what the woman who received this was like. If somebody comes to town and says, I, I need something, they would have probably been sent to her and John knew it, and he said, look, when they come to you, watch out. Don't receive them. Don't let them come in. It was probably hard for anyone, because most of us are compassionate. You see somebody coming, and you want to help, and John is saying, shut your door. Don't help them, because they are coming to spread lies about Jesus. They know that a Christian may be willing to open the door. I'm telling you, Christian, don't do it. Don't help them. Don't give them a place to stay. Do not give them a greeting. And the context seems to suggest something along these lines. If someone comes to Lakeside and Pastor Steve welcomes them publicly, what do you think? They must be okay. Pastor Steve said something. He gave him a greeting. The point is, for a false teacher, you don't do that. Because they'll be happy to exploit your love, they'll be happy to exploit your good name to further their nefarious ends. Verse 11, For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. God takes this very seriously. And it's a challenge because all of us want to show hospitality. It's commanded. Maybe this person is an angel. If they're in ministry, if they're claiming to be a part of the work of Christ, you've got to pay attention to what are they saying. Not only do we not want to follow their false teaching, but if we support it, if we further it, if we allow it to happen with our blessing, with our endorsement, we're guilty of the same evil. We're warned in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15, don't be bound together with unbelievers. What partnership have righteousness or lawlessness? 
What fellowship has light with darkness? And all John is saying is, look, if you have people that are teaching a different gospel, they're false teachers, they're trying to lead people astray, then you can't, in the name of Christian love, say, well, I just love everybody. Come on in. If you do, you're guilty. If you do, their evil becomes your responsibility. To support heretical teachers and teachers of false doctrine... To endorse their work is linking ourselves with their error, is linking ourselves with their falsehood. And today, we have to be more on the alert than ever. When I was first saved, to my knowledge, I'm sure the internet existed, but we didn't have a computer. Debbie and I didn't have a computer for several years. We didn't have cell phones. So if you were in the car, you had one choice, listen to the radio. So when I got saved, I just turned on the radio and started listening to people. Now, by God's grace, I listened to some good people. I listened to a lot of J. Vernon McGee, who I really liked. He was really good. His voice was really annoying, but once I got past that, I loved his teaching. I was disappointed a few years after listening to his program to find out that he was already dead when I started listening, but that's okay. I listened to many other good teachers. I listened to some people that probably weren't good, and I just didn't know any better. But here, why do I say that? Because every one of those programs at the end said, would you please send us a donation? So for a lot of years, Debbie and I sent money to a lot of different radio ministries. Now, thankfully, most of them were okay. A couple of people have gone squirrely. But by and large, God was merciful to me because I didn't know any better. But let me tell you, if you're supporting ministries, if you're sending money to a ministry, if you're listening to things and you're clicking a link to support someone, if you're liking a post on Facebook, pay attention to what these people say. Because false teachers can throw out a word of truth once in a while. It's what makes Satan so good. He knows the Bible and uses it for his own twisted ends. You've got to be careful what you like. You've got to be careful who you follow. You've got to be careful who you're seen as endorsing. You've got to be careful who you support financially. Certainly one want to show compassion. But when it comes to supporting ministries or teachers, we have to be discerning. We have to be wise we have to be careful because we don't want to be viewed by God as participating in their evil deeds because we've endorsed people who are false teachers. Be slow with the click. Be slow with the like button. Be careful who you endorse. I can't count the number of times Debbie has asked me about someone. I've been a pastor now, what, 15 years. I was in seminary been a believer for getting close to 30 years. I still don't know everybody. Most of the time, I don't recognize the names. So what do I do? I go look it up. Find out where they're from. Who are they following? What does their church teach? What is their doctrinal statement? Why? Because I don't want to casually tell my wife, yeah, I, I, I think they're okay. And then she tells somebody else, and then people are following a bad teacher. Because then it's my responsibility. I endorsed it. We have to be discerning. We have to be careful. Again, in our modern, tolerant society, that sounds wrong. We're supposed to be loving and welcoming. 
One pastor said it this way, If John's instruction still seems harsh, it is probably because his concern for the glory of the Son and the good of human souls is greater than ours. And because the tolerance on which we pride ourselves is really an indifference to truth. We've got to be careful. We've got to be discerning. And we've got to apply the standard of Scripture even in our interactions with others. Because Satan and his minions and false teachers understand, sadly, Christians are often gullible. They're quick to open the door, and that's not a bad thing. But particularly when it comes to someone who's propagating truth, who's teaching, who's trying to promote something, be careful. Because a counterfeit will exploit your love in a heartbeat. So John winds up the letter. And let me back up for a second, because I one thing I wanted to highlight. Every one of us has family members who are believers who don't believe what we believe in all likelihood. Some of us have family members who claim to be Christians and we think, I don't believe it. Nothing in John's letter is saying, okay, you can't have fellowship with your family. You can't have fellowship with them. He's not talking about that. Jesus sat with tax collectors and sinners and with Pharisees. But not to promote them as fellow laborers, but to convert them out of his care for their lostness. Don't misunderstand. Of course, we can reach out to unbelievers. Of course, with our eyes wide open, we can engage people. I used to disciple a young man when I was in California, and he had a, struck up a friendship with someone in a class, and the, the young man over here was a Mormon, and the guy I was discipling knew that that wasn't right, and the Mormon wanted to sit down with him, and so my friend said, will you come along? Of course I was willing to do it. I'm glad I did, because the Mormon kid brought his ringer. So I was glad my friend had his ringer, because he brought a Mormon apologist who was going to try and deceive the young man that I was discipling. And the point is, though, I was willing to meet with them. Don't, don't mishear me. I was willing to meet with him for the purpose of telling them you're wrong. Of course you can evangelize. Of course you can welcome people to your dinner table for the purpose of converting them. What this is saying is don't unwittingly and without discernment treat people as co-laborers with Christ if they're liars and deceivers. Be careful. He concludes the letter with some simple statements. Verse 12, Though I have many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink but hope to come to you and speak face to face so that your joy may be made full. In other words, he loved them and he wanted to have fellowship with them. He knew he could take care of everything else when they got together again. But the issues of these false teachers and the damage they could do and the foothold they were seeking within the church was so great that some things couldn't wait. He had to send the letter. And he ends, the children of your chosen sister greet you just with a greeting from Christian to Christian. So let me bring this in, and we'll be done. The world we live in is not kind to the truth, including many, many churches. Over and over again, you'll see churches or teachers saying, really, we shouldn't be so strict with the truth. We, we should 
open the doors a little bit wider. Jesus said there's a narrow path, but let's broaden it a little bit. Be careful. Be careful. Be discerning. You must immerse yourself in the truths of God's word. The only way you're going to spot a counterfeit is if you know the truth. I don't know the number of times I've heard somebody say things and I could listen for 30 minutes and it was only the 31st minute that I go, wait, what? What just happened? They sounded just fine and then boom, they said something that revealed who they really were and that they weren't teaching the truth. Immerse yourself in the truth. Come to Lakeside, morning and evening, listen to Pastor Steve, go online, listen to messages, and then search the scriptures to see if the things we say are true, and listen to what the Word says. My prayer for you would be what Paul said as a prayer for the Romans. It's actually his wish for them, not really a prayer, but it's my prayer. Romans 16, 19. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. May that be the case for all of us. Let me close this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Word of God. Lord, it's under attack from Satan. It's been under attack since you first spoke to humanity and the attacks will never end until Jesus returns. Lord, protect us. Help us be wise and discerning, Lord. Help us be hungry for the truths of your word and give us the ability through your spirit to be wise to avoid the errors of Satan. Lord, there are many people who teach wrong things about you that are doing their best and they just are wrong. Lord, correct them. But Lord, there are many who are intentionally deceiving. And Lord, I pray that you would help us be alert to and aware of their deceptions so that they would never get a foothold here at Lakeside or in our own lives. Lord, we love you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you all. I look forward to seeing you next week.